Okay. So this is the start of a new series, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be covering. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at how to hear God's voice, and in the weeks that follow, we'll be looking at how we speak God's word, how we evaluate what is shared prophetically as well. We'll be looking at how we share prophecies in a church context, in small meetings and large meetings, but also how the prophetic works in everyday life so that we can speak God's word wherever we are. So if those questions are raised this morning, that's fine. You just need to either hang around here on Sundays, or you can listen online and find some of the answers to those other questions in the weeks ahead. Uh, Today, in introducing prophecy, I'm simply aiming to answer two questions. Firstly, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? And what is it for? And as I do so, I've got a couple of books to wave at you, uh, three books, in fact. One, uh, and I just encourage you, I mean, whenever we start a new teaching series, we're trying to recommend some reading so that you can dig deeper and reflect on things more and be changed more deeply by God's Word as we look at something together. So here are three books. There's one here. I'm going to read a little bit of this later. This is a book called Surprised by the Voice of God by Jack Deere, who's a conservative uh, theologian who came to realize the value of the prophetic. And he tells his own story of change in there. And if you're one of those people who is skeptical, honestly, skeptical of the prophetic, of prophecy, or perhaps have seen things done in a way, in different contexts, that was frankly embarrassing or even damaging. And you know, actually, you find yourself now quite resistant to the whole thing. I'd encourage you to read this. This is, if you like, an apologetic, an explanation of prophecy. And uh, if you can read this and conclude that it's not a biblical ministry for today, then I'd love uh, to take you out for coffee and have you explain that, because I just, I I mean, I don't think that's going to cost me anything making that promise. I think that's a fairly sure bet. Um, These other two books are both written by people within our own network of churches. There's a book here called Find Your Voice, by Dave Oliver, who's from Basingstoke uh, Community Church, which is part of the Salt and Light Network in the UK. This book, Naturally Supernatural, I didn't recognize it to begin with because it says David Hudson, whom many of us know as Buck Hudson, who is a recognized prophet in our wider network of churches. And they are both uh, have some teaching in them, but are really focused on getting going in prophesying. So if that's where you're at, and I hope that that's where a lot of us are at, then those two books I highly recommend. Okay, so I said the first question would be, what is prophecy? Well, more than a third of the books in the Old Testament are the books of prophets. There's quite a lot of prophecy, plain and simple, there in the Old Testament. And probably, for many of us, when we first thought about prophecy, that's what comes to mind. And we have some image in our minds of the Old Testament prophet, whether it's an image of of big beards or mountaintops or predictions of judgment or being imprisoned or these different things that happened to the Old Testament prophet. So to begin with, how can we connect all of that wealth of prophetic ministry that's described there with what we call prophecy today. So just to help with that, I just want to draw attention to a couple of Hebrew words that are used to describe prophets and prophecy. This is the first word, roe, which means seer. In 1 Samuel 9 and verse 9, clearly this word had somehow gone out of vogue and wasn't being used. And at the time that 1 Samuel 9 was written, there was a need to explain it in these words. Formerly in Israel, it's written, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer, because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. And so this word seer, actually, it's not only, it doesn't only appear there, it appears at various points throughout the Old Testament and is used somewhat interchangeably with the word that we're a bit more familiar with, the word prophet. What it 
reminds us or teaches us is that this quality of prophecy, which is that prophets see something that other people don't see. Prophets see something that other people don't see. Now, it's not necessarily a grand vision, uh, though God does speak to some people in those ways. Or quite often, they're, they're artists, and they work visually and the way that God has created their minds. So, so God does speak in that way to some, not to everyone in the same way. But in every case, with a prophecy, there is something that God puts into someone's mind or into their mind's eye, if you like, that was not there before and that they did not make up. That's a description of what we might call revelation. God enables someone to see something or to know something that they did not know before and they did not make up. It's more than just some good idea or human reflection. It's more than normal human creativity. It's more than something imagined, some subconscious leap of logic to see something. It's more than being able to cold read someone's body language to see something that's not always seen by others. It's a gift of God. Something that comes from heaven, a window opened onto a reality that was previously hidden. Actually, to use New Testament language, it's a revelation of a mystery. That word mystery, in the way that it's used within the New Testament, speaks precisely of something that was hidden but is now seen. And it's seen because God has opened it up. It wasn't that anybody worked it out, but God has opened it up. The revelation, the spiritual gift of a revelation which the prophet receives, it may, it may give insight into the future. Sometimes that's what happens. But prophecy is much broader than having insight into the future. It's not just about predicting what will happen, although sometimes there are things yet to come that God does indeed reveal. But it's much broader than that. The New Testament uses different phrases to describe some slightly differing things. It talks of a word of knowledge, which is when God says something about current reality, which was previously hidden from view, at least for the prophet. Jesus operated in that gift. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, Jesus meets her, is talking to her, and then at a certain point in the conversation tells her the intimate details of her private life, which he could not have known. And the woman says, I see you're a prophet. Because that's what prophecy is, is about, when you have that kind of insight. And uh, we need to understand that God is still speaking in these ways today. I remember some years ago being at a conference on prophetic evangelism, which J. John, those of you familiar with him, is a well-known evangelist in the UK, had organized. And we were being encouraged to... Uh, the way that they worked it to try and get us going in prophecy was to line a few people up at the front, a bit like we had the students lined up here this morning, and say, if anyone gets anything prophetic for any of these people, then share it and let's see what comes of it. And immediately, there was a guy there in his late 40s, maybe about 50, and immediately I had this sense that I had this picture of a cupboard, of a pantry, if you like, that had been, that had been opened up and all the good food in it taken out, and then immediately another picture of a, an airplane taking off. And I found myself saying to him, believe that, that you've had the goodness taken out of your life and you're thinking of cutting and running. And I think this is the only time this has ever happened to me. 
but he immediately screamed and doubled up, fell on the floor. So I thought, that was probably right then. <laughs> I mean, there's something going on there, isn't there? It turned out he was a vicar whose wife had just left him, and he was considering giving up his calling. So it's at that is a word of knowledge where God reveals something that was, I mean, he knew it. The woman at the well knew her situation, but a gift is given to open things up because God wants to speak into them. God wants to deal with them. There's another thing that gets described as a word of wisdom. Jesus operated in this gift too. In John chapter 8, when this woman caught in adultery is brought before him, he speaks what seem, at least to me, to be some of the wisest words ever spoken. He's confronted with an impossible paradox. He either sees justice done roughly and, in a sense, unfairly to this woman because she's been caught in adultery and the man's not being brought there. It's clearly a setup. But if he doesn't agree with the need to punish her, then he'll break the law and so seem, seemingly ignore righteousness. And he has this word of wisdom, which is, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. It's just a short sentence. The entire situation is transformed. By Wisdom is about knowing what to do. It's not so much a revelation of what is. It's not a revelation of knowledge, but it's a revelation of what to do wasn't seen before what should be done, but now we can see what it is that should be done. I was reading a story. Um, would I, I'm just going to have to bring it from memory because I've reordered the book online that I couldn't find in my office the last few days. Wonderful story. The book, you might want to read this. I wish I could wave it at you too. Some years ago, David Pitches collated a whole number of stories of times when God had spoken with wonderful clarity and wonderful consequences and titled the book, Does God Speak Today? And just a whole, it's just a whole like a, um, anthology or you know, just a book full of stories of God speaking. One of them is this, that there was a new power station built in the States and the day came for the civic opening and it still wasn't working. They just couldn't get this power station to work, which is a bit embarrassing, to say the least. And they had, um, had engineers on the site, the designers on the site. They tried everything they could to work out the problem. And uh, in the end, they ended up calling up this other consultant who'd not been involved in the project and didn't know exactly what was wrong, but they were becoming desperate. He was a Christian, and he prayed. And God gave him... A, a revelation. He gave him a picture of the precise part of the, in, of the power station that was bust and what needed doing to fix it. So with absolutely no preparation, walked on to the site, into the power station, walked straight up to the relevant part and said, it's that one. They changed it and it worked. <laughs> And uh, they were all a bit surprised that he could do that. He was quite surprised. It was the first time for this, for this man, it was the first time that had ever happened for him. Um, I think, uh, if I remember the story rightly, he sent them a really big bill. And they said, hang on a minute, you worked for about five minutes. And he, so he subdivided the charge and said, well, $1 for time spent on site, $9,999 for knowing what to do. There's a word of wisdom, but it comes as a revelation. Sometimes the revelation is actually a supernatural reminder of biblical truth. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would remind us of the things that he said. And the Holy Spirit delights not only to speak things totally out of the blue, but the, the Holy Spirit loves the Bible. He really does. He's really pleased with it. He thinks it's really good. He breathed it into being, and he quite likes to remind us of its content, and just at the right time, too. 
it seems to me that Jesus demonstrates this again and again. Those tricky questions he gets asked in the few days before his arrest, like the one about the woman who'd had been married to seven husbands, seven brothers who'd all taken on the responsibility of looking after her, and, and, and what would happen in heaven? And it's a question to, you know, resurrection is ridiculous, isn't it? And the Old Testament seemingly, according to the theological debate at the time, which was raging theological debate between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they could not resolve the matter of what the scriptures said, their scriptures said, about the matter of resurrection. Jesus has asked this question, and he quotes where it says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the, those words were spoken in the Old Testament after they'd all died. And he said, look, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's just obvious. These people are still alive. Oh, yeah. It wasn't obvious to anyone else. That is what happens quite commonly here Sunday by Sunday, when people come forward and say, I've got a scripture to read. God is alive and well. And uh, God often just throws in some things to encourage us that what we've really heard is revelation. It's almost like he enjoys it. He has fun with it. I'm going to tell a story of Simon, who's leading the meeting this morning. A couple of years ago, we were together uh, at a church conference, and there was a leadership team there of of a church in Cambridge. It's good. It's good. It's a church in Cambridge, and the word, that, the word that Simon had for them was, said he saw a picture of an orchard, and this orchard had been cut down and cut down, and there was one tree left, and it's a sense of loss in the, the church that had gone along with that, right? and then there was, the, there was a good bit after that about new fruit and heavy laden branches and that sort of thing. At which point, these guys did what that guy did in that other conference. That I, they screamed and keeled over as well, didn't they? It's always an encouraging sign when that happens, I think. Maybe they were vicars as well, weren't they? It's interesting. Maybe they teach that in seminary. No, probably not. I'll have to ask someone. Um, it turned out that the vicarage garden had one apple tree in it that was the remnant of a previous orchard. Yeah. God's just having fun there, isn't he? Really. I was praying here recently with the leaders of Minchinhampton Baptist Church. You may not have heard of Minchinhampton. It's near Sirencester. If you've not heard of Sirencester, I can't help you. <laughs> and out of the blue... I was reminded, it's a good memory, I was reminded of a Cotswold pub that I used to visit with Bev when we were about 18 or 19. And there's this particular sort of lane that you go to to get to it that goes down and round and up. And I was reminded of this lane and God spoke a couple of things about how the shape of this lane was some encouragement for them and the the stages of the journey that they'd been on. I thought it was an odd sort of a thing to get a revelation through. Uh, this pub is called the Green Dragon, and as, and it's about it's the other side of the Cotswolds to mention Hampton. Anyway, one of the women there then said, she said, um, "That's amazing." She said, "I spent 23 years living next to that pub," which doesn't really say anything. It's just there's a delight. God is generous. He just like he's like, he has fun speaking to us, and he wants us to know that he's doing it generously, and he knows all things. It's quite simple, really. Anyway, that's all about seeing something. Prophecy is about a revelation that comes from God, not just our blessed thoughts in our better moments, not just our imaginations and our own creativity, but something that comes from God. The word that's used far more often in the Old Testament is this word, navi, which uh, I've put a picture of a stream there because this is related to a word that means to pour forth. That's the root idea, that just like you pour water out, so too that happens. And the Hebrews used that idea and attached it to the idea of speaking. So when you speak, you're pouring something out. You're pouring out 
words. And they used this word to, re- to speak about someone who speaks in God's name and who speaks God's word. So in Deuteronomy 18, for example, and verse 18, God promises for his people, I will raise up for them a prophet like Moses from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. So it's about speaking. It's not just about seeing. It's also about speaking. And actually, the same word about pouring forth speech is also used not only of the prophets, but also of God's creation. In Psalm 19, right at the beginning, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. God will speak any which way. It's never a question of whether God is speaking, but whether we will get in on the game. The heavens are always speaking. It's no surprise that Sunday by Sunday, most Sundays at least, there's someone who will come and share with the leader of the meeting at the front, when I was on the way here, I saw something in creation and I felt God said. Because the truth of Scripture is that God's pouring forth speech through the heavens and the flowers and the bugs and the birds and the, you know, because he made them all, and they all reflect his glory, and he delights to speak. The speech of the prophet can pour forth in various ways. It can be spontaneous. What we might call, it's a slightly technical word, but ecstatic. When the Spirit comes upon you, and you think, like um, when Jeremiah said that the word of God was like fire in his bones. You get this tremendous burning need to speak something that God has shared with you. There's a friend of mine, whose name I will keep anonymous, um, who once was training as to be an Anglican vicar. There's a theme in this morning's meeting. Um, And he was still training. He was at Wycliffe Hall, and he Uh, went to the university sermon, the annual sermon that takes place in the cathedral, and for the first time ever, it was being preached by a Muslim who began by quoting the Quran. And this friend of mine was sat in the stalls amongst various people, including the bishop who would soon have to ordain him. And the spirit came upon him, and he began to feel these verses from the Bible, this way that God sometimes speaks of reminding us of Scripture, rising up in him, verses about the uniqueness of Christ. And God said to him, you need to proclaim these in this assembly. And he said, no, Lord. <laughs> and he began to feel physically sick and thought he was, he turned a funny color and thought he was going to vomit. Such was the strength of this urge from God but he was clear that he wasn't going to do it. So he started to make his way out. Just I said, I've got to go, I've got to go. And everyone said, yeah, you do look a bit green. You better go. So he went. But as he got to the door, the Spirit of God won. And as he got to the door, he started proclaiming, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can. At which point, the um, custodians, or whatever they're called, what are they called in Christchurch? The guys with the bowl hats. I don't know the people. Okay, um, they threw him out of the cathedral physically for his act, for speaking the word of God, albeit in a disordered you know, way. Um, anyway, the grace of God was such that not long later, when he came to be ordained by the bishop, the bishop didn't recognize him. It was all, it was, it was all right. But sometimes the Spirit of God comes in such a way that there's a kind of urgency. In 1 Samuel 10, it talks of Saul, King Saul. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. 
When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish, that's to Saul? Is Saul also among the prophets? In other words, this was not a guy who prophesied. He didn't do this. And yet he connected with a group of prophets. The spirit that was on them fell on him, and something came out ecstatically. It was all... God sometimes chooses to work in that way, and that may be one reason why we're nervous. Uh, yeah. Don't really want God to do that. Or at least not through us. I mean, if he wants to embarrass someone else, that's up to him. Sometimes the prophetic pours forth in that way. Uh, Actually, rather more often, if we look at the testimony of Scripture, it comes out in a much more crafted way. So we have that instance with Saul, but then we have the whole of the book of Isaiah, for starters, which is carefully written, carefully organized, lots of patterns within the text, things starting with the same letter or going through the alphabet. This didn't just, it wasn't just a bang moment there's a someone has uh, Isaiah in this case has reflected on what God said honed it crafted the way of it being expressed in order to help it best communicate so it can be spontaneous it's rather more often a crafted word that comes through over a period of time and it can be verbal obviously words normally are most old testament prophecy was verbal but sometimes it was nonverbal. Sometimes it was acted out. I think, for example, of Ezekiel 4, where God said to Ezekiel to make a model city and then to take an iron pan and place it between him and the city and then to lie down next to it on his side for 390 days. He also told him, yeah, he also told him to burn his own excrement as a fire later on. And he, says, and he says, no, God, no. And God relented in that case and said, that's right, you can use cow dung. Oh, that's fine then. All the rest of it's fine. 390 days with cow dung, that's quite acceptable. So sometimes these things are acted out. In the New Testament, in Acts 21, a prophet named Agabus took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. So there are sometimes those other expressions. And actually, sometimes the other kinds of non-verbal expression might be music or pictures. There are other ways that things are sometimes expressed. It's most commonly words, but God speaks in other ways too. And then these two things, then, the seeing and the speaking, understanding the range that that can have, these two things work together. If you see something, have a revelation, but don't speak it out, you might be a mystic of the highest order, but you're not a prophet, if you speak something, however true it is, but it didn't come from a revelation, you may be a great teacher or evangelist, but you're not a prophet. Yeah? It's the combination of the two things, of speaking something that we've seen that constitutes prophecy. Oh, I had a slide about that. Prophecy is when God reveals something and it's shared with others. Now, I'd like to turn, please, to the passage of Scripture that I really wanted to use this morning, felt led to use this morning, which is in Ezekiel 37, which has these two elements of seeing and speaking, but then has more in addition to, to that. It says, Ezekiel 37, we'll read the first 10 verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of God and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, 
And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, safe answer coming up here, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. That's, that's true, isn't it? He didn't have a clue. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So there's the things I've already covered are there. There's a revelation that God gives. This is what you need to say. And I mean, I don't know whether this was a real valley that was left from a battle that the Spirit of the Lord led him out to, whether this was more like a vision. In a sense, it doesn't matter because it says quite clearly that he was brought out by the Spirit of the Lord. So whether the Spirit of the Lord brought him to a place where there was something to see and then God spoke through that, or whether it was simply a vision, in, perhaps in a time of prayer, it still came from God. God is the author of this story. He is the initiator. So God has spoken to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel speaks out. But here's the further thing, the third thing, that when he does that, there is a release of supernatural power. And this, too, is a quality of prophecy. It's not just that we sort of somehow get an insight into heaven's library of information and pass on a bit more that satisfies a little bit of intellectual curiosity. Oh, I know a bit more now than I did before. The word of God, as it's prophesied, has supernatural power. As Ezekiel prophesies, the bones start moving. There's a noise. There's the noise of his voice, and there's the noise of the power that's released that starts to bring the bones together, begins this process of restoration. The word of the Lord does something. It's not just information. This morning, Mark was baptized. And as Keith and Andrew baptized him, they said, we baptize you. They, and, they, and something happened. A fresh grace was released on your life. Those words, if they just dunked you and brought you back out again, not said anything about it, that would have been odd. But it also wouldn't have had the same power. There's some words that when they're spoken, achieve something in being spoken. It's like when someone has offended us and we say, I... I forgive you. That does something. It changes something. It's not just words. It's not just words. They're words that change something. And the word of God always, always, always has that quality. He doesn't send his word out. He doesn't just broadcast it. It's never just brought like a radio wave. It's gone out. Well, there we are. Job done. No. 
It's a seed that's sown that germinates and brings life. It's a hammer that goes out and breaks things open. It's a fire that goes out and consumes. It's a honey that goes out and brings sweetness. The word of God does things as we speak it. Moses was established as the greatest Old Testament prophet, not because of the volume of prophecy that he brought, but because of the extraordinary nature of the signs and wonders that he performed. Again and again in the Gospels, when Jesus, there are people saying, oh, is this man a prophet? Is he from God? Is he bringing God's word? Should we really listen to his words? They say, show us a sign then. Show us a sign. Because they knew that that's what God's word is like. It's accompanied very normally by signs and wonders. So we have these three things, seeing, speaking, and supernatural power. Let me tell you another couple of stories about power being released and just what that's like in our lives. Again, I was reminded as I was preparing, some of you have heard me mention this before, but it was really clear story in my own experience was with um, Steve Thomas and Roger Cole, who many of you know in uh, Kathmandu. We're at a theological college in Kathmandu. And as happens, (laughs) if you travel with Steve Thomas, he will preach and say, after this, you need a few spot-on prophetic words. Is that all right? Okay. Yeah, we can do that. So God's good. So you stand up and give it a go, and God's good, and he was on this occasion. And there was a girl sat right at the back, a young woman, I should say, really, in her early 20s. And the picture I had for her um, was of um, a tin can full of good food. And she had this one tin can, and what I saw her wanting to do was to open it up and take away the goodness, the food that was in it, and start giving it to people. And I st- instead saw a picture of God saying, no... She needs, some more, she needs some more cans. She needs some more supplies. And I found myself saying to her, I believe that God, um, God, God knows that you feel like you've spent enough time at college and you just want to get out and start doing the stuff and giving away what you've learned, but you need to stay longer because God has more to give you. And um, thankfully no one screamed or anything, but there were a whole sea of smiles broke out because I didn't know but that this girl was thinking of leaving college that week. And so what happened was God was good. That's the main thing. God was good. And he spoke a word which he spoke it to me clearly enough that, that I, despite all of my stupidity, limitations, unwillingness, and insubmissiveness, was still able to share it. It wasn't about, it's nothing to do with my ability, just be clear about that, because I just told a couple of stories of times that God's used me, and I'm always left whenever God speaks to me prophetically with as clear an awareness as I ever have that it was nothing to do with my, it's a gift. And God was good enough to this girl to use silly me, who was thinking about something else before I was told I ought to prophesy, to speak a word that shaped her calling. That that word, that 60 seconds, has shaped that girl's life. And all that will now take place for her going forward in in her life. That is a kind of power in the way that God chooses to speak. I have another friend who leads church um, who one day had two women come into his church office and they both they came independently and they both came saying God's spoken something to me whilst I was praying this morning that I need to share with you and he said oh okay I'll let you do so come in and it turned out that they both had exactly the same thing from God which is encouraging that this is really something that God wants to say and what they both said is the Lord's told us that Satan is going to try to kill you today Which is the sort of word that, frankly, if you only heard it from one witness, you might take with a pinch of salt. Let's be honest. I would, anyway. Maybe I'm revealing my lack of spirituality and cynicism. 
but I, would be, I wouldn't do too much with it. But when two independent witnesses come in without any kind of coordination and say the same thing, you think, oh. And what do you do? Well, what they did was simply call those who were in the building and who wouldn't be freaked out by such things to gather for a word of prayer, had a pray and said, well, God, your problem, thanks for telling us about it. We've prayed. There's not much else we can do. There we are. This guy finished his working day. I don't know how he felt as he went out the door into the world. Uh, but he got all the way home to his, the street where he lives, got to opposite his house, crossed the road, walked up to his front gate, and just as he got to his front door, the crane on the other side of the street fell over and killed someone else. And I think, thank God for prophets. Now, I don't understand why someone else died. I don't, maybe there was going to be 10 people killed, and we don't know what else might have occurred. I mean, but the word of God shapes destinies and preserves life. This is real and we want the word of God in our lives. We need its salvation. I want to read a story from this book here to you. This may speak especially to some theologians amongst us. Uh, Jack Deere, who's a great theologian, speaks about uh, turning up to a meeting of 150 to 200 10 to 12-year-old children. And he told them they could ask him any question they wanted. And then the story goes like this. The first child raised his hands and said, why is it that bad things happen to people who love God and try to follow him? Hmm, I thought, why do bad things happen to good people? Theologians have been grappling with the problem of suffering for 2,000 years, and no one has really solved its mystery. Even the book of Job never tells us the ultimate reason why God permitted all Job's sufferings. I mumbled some sort of answer about God not wanting robots, but rather friends with freedom and dignity. It didn't impress the kids. They all looked a little bored. A second hand went up. Pastor, why did God create the devil? Hmm, why did God create the devil? Again, I mumbled some sort of answer about God not wanting robots, but rather friends with freedom and dignity. They were less impressed than before and more bored. It went on like this for 45 minutes. I'd, be I'd begun to think that some demon from hell had smuggled the kids a list of all the unsolved theological problems for the last 20 centuries, and said, here, kids, ask him these. I decided to retire from the theological question-answering business. I looked over at the prophetically gifted pastor I'd brought in with me and said, has, has the Lord shown you anything? <laughs> he isn't showing me much. He said, yes, he has. He's shown me something about this young lady right here. And he pointed to a young, cute 12-year-old girl sitting in the front row. And about that young man and about that lady. And he pointed to one of the Sunday school teachers. And he looked at the young girl and he said, what's your name? Julie, she said. She was not sure she really wanted someone giving her a prophetic word in front of 200 of her peers. Julie, while Jack was speaking, I had a vision of you. It was Tuesday night. That's five nights ago. You went to your bedroom and shut the door, and you were crying. And you looked up to heaven and said, God, do you really love me? I have to know. Do you really love me? Julie, God didn't say anything to you on Tuesday night, but he sent me here today to tell you that he really loves you. He really loves you. He also told me to tell you, that the trouble going on around you is not your fault. 
He didn't tell me if he's going to change the treble, but he wants you to know that you aren't the cause of it. Then he went on to speak to the young man and the lady. After it was all over, I called those three people forward so we could talk privately. I wanted to make sure that there were no misunderstandings and also that everything that was said was true. Julie, last Tuesday night, were you in your bedroom crying really hard? And did you ask God if he really loved you? I asked. Yes. Are your parents fighting now? Yes. Are they talking about getting a divorce? Yes. Do you think that's your fault? She looked up at me and smiled and said, Not anymore. And Jack Deere goes on to observe, who in the world could be against this ministry? Why wouldn't anyone want the voice of the Lord to speak like this? I know what it's like to carry the guilt for something a parent did. My father committed suicide when I was 12 years old. I know how hard it is for a 12-year-old to understand something like that. I know what it's like to feel guilty for not treating my father better. I know what it's like to grow up thinking if I'd been a better son, perhaps my dad wouldn't have left us. I thought about this little 12-year-old girl who won't be sitting in some psychiatrist's office when she's 30 years old trying to get rid of guilt she's carried around for 20 years. Even if her parents divorce, she won't blame herself for it. The prophetic word of the Lord came to her and delivered her from her guilt. The word of God has supernatural power. It does things, and what it does is good. It's always good. We can't just talk about prophecy. We need to have a little... Graham, you need to come and share your word. If you're Polish, prick your ears up, and if you're British, prick your ears up. this so I don't shout. I do not shout sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up this morning and saw, uh, like I had a thought or a picture or something in my mind of like the Polish flag, the simple Polish flag with the white band across the red band, and then the English flag, which is a red cross on a white band. And it was like the two were superimposed. So the red cross was across the, white, the top half of the flag, and then it switched so that it was like a white cross, bottom half of the cross, on the red part of the Polish flag. And I felt like God was joining the two together. When England and Scotland merged, the two flags were merged. And then when Ireland was put in, the two flags were merged, and, one, and it became one nation under, on the face of the earth. Let's put it that way rather than under God. We're not American. So... Um, in Ezekiel 36, 37, sorry, verse 15. This is going to get better by the look of things. Ezekiel 37, 15 says, Again the message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, take a piece of wood and carve on it these words. This represents Judah and its allied tribes. Then take another piece and carve on it these words. This represents Ephraim and the northern tribes of Israel. Now hold them together in your hand as if they were one piece of wood. When your people ask you what your actions mean, say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and join them to Judah. I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. Then hold out the pieces of wood you have inscribed so the people can see them and give them this message from the Sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations and they will bring them home to their own land from the places that they have been scattered. And I believe that God's putting a joining between the Polish people here and ourselves to gather people. God wants to gather people here that are Polish, and God wants to gather people here that are British. And he wants to make one nation. And I believe that you have a place here, and that just as Scottish people can be Prime Minister of England and Scotland, so Polish people can take their place in leading here. 
And God wants to speak and bring increase and gathering both to the Poles and to the British in this place. And I believe there's more nations that are involved in that. But that's what I saw this morning. It was a joining of Poland and the UK. Uh, I think one of our Polish brothers would like to respond a bit to that. So I think that's fair enough, isn't it? Um, hello. I just very, very technically think that's what you say about um, uh, Polish. And about next week on Saturday, it's on the paper anyway, we've got a Polish uh, meeting, Polish service. And we chose the songs for the uh, Polish meeting. But the songs is also English, so we can sing it together. And one more thing is, we've got a Polish preacher, Marek. He's a pastor for the last 25 years. But also, we've got a translator for you, for English. So, very welcome. Praise God, that's good. Well, I think that with the time that we have left, we need to pray. We need to pray into that word. Uh, it's true. This next Saturday, there is an inaugural meeting of a Polish, I don't know what we call it, ministry, might be the right word, that will be beginning with Marek and Max and Maggie working together um, to do something new that God has clearly spoken about. We could take time, maybe some other time, maybe I don't know what will happen next Saturday evening, to rehearse the prophetic words that have actually led Mark in particular, to being here and his family to follow him. Um, we also need to pray for that release of the spiritual gift of prophecy across the whole. I've got one more slide, you see, which looks like that. And it's just to say that Joel, the prophet Joel, prophesied that the Spirit would come upon all of God's people, which is a really simple word, all, all. It's so simple that we can just let it f pass by, but the promise of Scripture is all. So that's you. It's not someone else other than you. Well, it is. It's everyone else. Other, but it's not, it's not excluding you. It's f this message, this promise of Scripture is, is for you. And if you've never had the delight of God graciously speaking to you in such a way that you've got the confidence to share it with other people, well, that needn't continue. The scripture says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. So I can't promise when that gift might come. I think actually experience suggests that God, just because God loves speaking, that he gives this gift very straightforwardly. But uh, it is his gift. It's not something that we command him to do, but we ask him for. What we clear, our part is that eager desire. And my hope this morning was simply to stimulate that hunger, to stimulate that desire for this particular expression of God's goodness to come into our lives, to come into your life. If you aren't in one of our missional communities, you're in danger of missing out. Uh, it's already begun, but we'll be going on for a little bit longer, that we have people who are gifted in helping others respond to the gift of prophecy, going around our different missional communities and getting things going. We've been calling it prophetic activation. There's a whole, and I know in the last week even, there have been a whole bunch of people who've begun to prophesy who haven't before. And if you're not in any of our missional communities, you'll miss out on that blessing because that's where it's happening. So if you're not and you'd like to get in on it, there will undoubtedly be generosity and hospitality extended to you. One of the occasions that's in the diary already, I suggest you get in touch with the church office to find out when those dates are so that you can get in on it. How should we pray? Well, there's, I'd like to, hmm, I'd like to get Bev to pray, please. Um, Bev prophesies with a lot of clarity, and I'd just like her to impart something of that in praying to us. And Mike and Liz, in their time in Vancouver, have seen an upturn in the prophetic, I believe, in the church there. 
And uh, I'd just like to invite, I don't know if you would both like to pray for us, or Mike, if you'd just like to also pray for us, for something to shift in the spirit, that would be good. And then after that, we'll focus our attention on Poland. Okay. Um, I think God wants us to hear something through prayer in what we've already heard from in Ezekiel. Just wanted to pray over you what we are reading there. Um, so just take it as a prayer, I guess. Um, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones: I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. Lord, I just want to pray that you would do that for us today. I pray that you would breathe your life, your Holy Spirit, into us, into your church. We are dry, Lord, and uh, we need you. Hmm. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that your breath would come into us, that your Holy Spirit would reside next to our spirit and that we would hear your voice, that we would hear your voice in our dreams as we wake up, as we eat our breakfast, as we read your word, as we're with our friends, that God, you would speak to us and that we would be ready to hear you, that we'd be anticipating your voice. Not just the spoken word, but whether it's pictures or stirrings or whatever it is, God, that you would breathe into us, that you would breathe into this church now, that would be ready to hear you in whatever way you are prepared to speak to us, that we'd be vulnerable with you, that we'd want your spirit to bring us to life, just like in this passage that we would rattle and that we would stand a vast army ready to go out and be your voice in this world that so desperately needs you. Thank you, Jesus. Start this today, we pray, and don't stop, that we wouldn't let you stop, that we would be prepared to hear you every minute of every day. We'd be open to you, Lord, and not close the doors and not dry up again. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, Steve's right, we saw quite uh, a breaking out of the prophetic uh, while we were in Vancouver. Uh, one morning when we just had to stop it because we were getting too much. Um, another occasion out of a training night on prophecy, ending up seeing a rather staid lawyer racing down the street as we sent people out, saying, excuse me, excuse me, I've got a word from God for you to a complete stranger. Um, so Steve asked if we would pray that we might see a bit of that here this morning, because um, you can all prophesy, though not all can spell, it would appear. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's good to tell I'm back, isn't it? Okay, here's, um, here's what I felt I wanted to pray for you this morning, um, because Steve's word this morning demands a response from us. We can't just sit there and think, mm, yeah, it's really good, yes, thank you. Um, so I'm going to ask you to do something as I pray for you. First of all, if you have never, ever prophesied, but this morning you were stirred and think, oh, I'd like to start doing that, I want you to stand now. And we're going to pray for you. There's no embarrassment about this, it's just you've not done it because maybe you didn't know or couldn't know. Okay, it's good there aren't many of those. But, Father, in Jesus' name... We pray for our brothers and sisters who are standing there saying, I've never done that, but who are saying, I want to. And we reach out to them in prayer and we say, in Jesus' name, 
May the rivers of water flow from within you, like we saw on that picture, that you can be a seer and a speaker, even this week. We pray that this week, as you're walking around, you would see something and you'd hear God speaking in a way that you've never done before. And we bless that into you and we call it forth from you in Jesus' name. Amen. And then you can sit down, guys. And then Steve spoke about um, a prophet is someone who sees and who speaks. And I felt when he said that, that there are some of you who have been seeing, but you've got out of speaking. Uh, You know, you do know God speaks to you, but for whatever reason, and it might just be, oh, you've left it to others. Uh, You've got a bit lazy in it even. Maybe you've got weary, maybe discouraged out of one that sort of seemed to go wrong. And I'm sure we'll be looking at that over the coming weeks. But if you have been seeing, and this morning you know I have not been speaking what I've been seeing. And this morning I'm going to respond to God's word and say, I resolve I'll start speaking it, Lord. It may not be on Sundays in the meeting. It may be in your small group, maybe with a neighbor. It may be in your workplace. But if you've been seeing and not speaking, you've been holding back, sitting on it for whatever reason. And this morning you want to say, I want that to change. I want you to stand now and we're going to pray for you. There's no embarrassment in this, guys. It happens to all of us at times. We just get Sometimes just snarled up with life. Sometimes stuff overtakes us. Sometimes we just get weary, discouraged. Okay, so those of us around, let's just stretch our hand out towards those who are standing now. Because we're going to, it's we, it's not me. We are going to call forth something from them in Jesus' name. Now, for you who have seen but not spoken. We call forth from you anew the spoken word of God. We release you to start speaking again what you've been seeing. We rebuke in Jesus' name discouragement and weariness and maybe just sheer laziness. And whatever it is, we rebuke that in Jesus' name and we pray over you. Start seeing and speaking in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we call that forth in you. Even this week, just to opening your mouth again with what God's given you. Just tell God in your heart, that's yes, that's what I want, Lord. And I'm committing myself to that. Because as you say yes, God is going to start doing that for you this week. So we bless that into you, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. And Steve's key point were about seeing and speaking so that we might see something of the supernatural move of God. So here's now a chance for all of us to get prayed for. If this morning whether you've been prophesying a little or prophesying a lot. I felt like there was something out of what Steve was sharing this morning that God is wanting to lift the level of uh, the body. This is not just about one or two great big prophets in the church. You can all prophesy. So if this morning you want to say, Lord, whatever I've been seeing and speaking and seeing of the supernatural, I want more of it. And I want, to, I want to move up a level, particularly in seeing the supernatural stuff happen out of what I bring. And we're going to pray for you. If that's you, then you stand now, even if you've stood before, in Jesus' name. And we're going to pray for a release of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we invite you to come.
us. It's not about us working ourselves up, as Steve said, not about our imagination or our thoughts or our logic working stuff out, but we are desperate to hear you speak more. We're desperate to see more so that we might speak more, so that we might see a release of the supernatural among our colleagues, among our friends, our family, our neighbors, our workplace, our fellow students. Like some of those stories we heard this morning, we're asking in Jesus' name for a supernatural release that we can't work up and we can't do a thing about, but we are throwing ourselves upon you today. And we are saying, we're calling out to you, Lord, that this might happen through each of us. And we commit ourselves to risking it. To risking it, to stepping out, and just to seeing you do some new stuff. So Holy Spirit, come and may there be, may today be marked as a turnaround. Uh, Another step on the journey. Thank you we have a God who speaks. He is not like the dumb idols of the nations as the prophets spoke about. the, The idols that were mocked. Whose gods have eyes that cannot see and ears but cannot hear and mouths but cannot speak. Thank you we have a God who speaks. And Lord, may we be your mouthpiece this week, this month, this year, in a deeper and more profound way than ever before. Give us courage, Lord, to risk it, we pray. So Holy Spirit, please come and do this, we ask you, among us. In Jesus' name, amen.